Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, Escape from Polygamy Mountain. I am so excited tonight because I finally, finally have on the show a dear friend of mine who I have known for 30 years now. Her name is Susan. I used to know her when she was just plain Sue. And we're not going to use her last name on tonight's episode. That's part of the agreement between the parties. We're not going to use her last name. We're just going to use Susan. And Susan, you can just call me. You don't have to use my last name either. You can just call me Radio. Okay, Radio. We'll do. It's so great to have you on the show. We've been trying and trying and trying for months now to get this interview done, haven't we? Yes, we have. Well, let me just give a little back. I made it happen. Yes, and (laughs) it almost didn't happen today either. By the way, today's date is December 18th, 2020. And Sue, I have known you for 30 years. See there, I just called you Sue. Um, I've known you for 30 years off and on, probably mostly off. Yes. But, But back in 1990, when I moved to this location, this beautiful county in which we both resided, and I, we're trying to keep these uh, the names and the identifications just a little bit vague, so as to protect your identity. And okay. as this as this interview goes on, I think it'll become more and more clear to the listeners why it is that that might be a concern. But Sue is somebody that I knew way back thirty years ago, and she has had one heck of a ride since that time. When I knew you, uh, you were married to Joe, and we're also not going to use his last name either. Even though at the time, his last name was your last name too, like John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yes. But it was Joe. We're just going to call him Joe. And that was your husband at the time. I knew him. I knew you. I knew your wonderful children. I think you had five of them at the time, three older in sort of a grouping and then two younger ones in sort of their own grouping, right? Yep, that's right. And we we knew each other. We did a few things together. And uh, it was just wonderful knowing you. You were... Such a true believing Mormon at the time, Sue. You put the T in TBM. Yep, that's right. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about your journey. I'm just going to thumbnail it right now. That you went from being a true believing Mormon, married to Joe, himself a true believing Mormon, and a member of the bishopric. He was a counselor in the bishopric, at least at some point in the early 1990s, in the Mm -hmm. ward in which we both lived. And... um, He ended up going off the rails, sort of, and deciding that 20th century Mormonism wasn't for him, and he preferred 19th century Mormonism with all the frills, including and especially polygamy. Yes. He got sucked into that old polygamy idea, and he believed that that was true and that the church had had gone off the rails, not Joe. And so, and therefore he got involved in polygamy and then he got you involved in polygamy. And we want to talk a little bit about that process and how that happened. And then you ended up going to Idaho, the panhandle, I believe. Yes. Where not only the skinheads, but also the polygamists play. (laughs) And then you ended up going to Mexico being taken yeah. to Mexico, I know you weren't kidnapped. You went voluntarily, but yes, you were. Did. He sure did a number on you, a total mind job on you, to get yeah. you to be converted to this idea as much as you ever were. And then finally, you escaped from Mexico, and made it back to the United States. You escaped from polygamy. You finally had enough of this lifestyle, 
And then I saw you again, and this is a number of years back when you finally come back to uh, the United States. And I didn't know anything about what had been happening with you or Mexico or anything like that. I knew there were some troubles with Joe, but then you became once again, a true believing Mormon. Of course. You became, because I always was. Yes, you left the 19th century and you came back to the 20th century. <laughs> I didn't ever believe that. I just didn't want to get a divorce. Ah, well, now we're in the 21st century and you have decided that you've uh, put Mormonism behind you as well. You decided that that wasn't for you and we want to get into the reasons for that. So that's the thumbnail. All right. By Let's the go. way, so that everybody knows, back in 1994, Sue and I were both in the stake musical production of The oh, Music Man. I forgot about that. That how was could you, fun. How could you forget about that? You know, I almost forgot about it too. And then I was thinking this morning, what am I going to talk about with you other than your story, which is the most important thing? And I thought, geez, The Music Man, you played a wonderful Eulalie McKechnie Shin. Yeah. You were the, uh, the wife of the mayor. <laughs> yep, that was fun. A lot of work. A lot of hours because, of course, we were TBMs. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We didn't have enough stuff going on with church and our callings. No, we, we put in for this, uh, this musical. And I remember a lot of things about your wonderful performance. I was Harold Hill, so we didn't have a whole lot of scenes together. But I remember watching from the wings and uh, you're talking about two Grecian urns and a fountain. <laughs> trickle, 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 trickle. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I felt so <laughs> ridiculous doing that. But it was it was fun when everybody laughed. Well, it's a ridiculous part. So, you know, <laughs> you're supposed to feel ridiculous, I guess. Um, but that was 26 years ago, if you can imagine that. I can't believe it. <laughs> when we trod the boards together. So, uh, but also, things were going on in, uh, in my personal life. My first marriage was falling apart, and that was 1994. At the end of that summer, in August, right, we did the um, the show. It was for a few nights in, I don't know, June or July. But in August, we ended up going to Provo, Utah. For yes. the one, See, it's all coming back to you now, isn't it? You thought we were just going to talk about polygamy. No, no, we're talking about old times here just for a second. And we went to uh, Utah, to Provo, for my one and only time going to Education Week. Do you remember that? Yeah, TBM. Yeah, Education Week. <laughs> yeah, go to that every year. <laughs> and by the way, we were chaperoned. Just so everybody knows, we were chaperoned by at least one or two of your children, your older two, children. Two, my two youngest. Was it the two youngest? Yeah, I, okay. I think so. Yeah. Well, I can't remember. I just remember that we were not alone. We were never alone together. Okay. No. Just no. to let, make sure everybody knows, everything's on the up and up. But on the way to Provo. We swung by your homestead in Idaho. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I hadn't. I wasn't living there yet. I was selling our house in Washington. Whoops. Um, anyway, I was selling our tent, our house, um, and we were going to be moving. But my husband and my children had already moved to Idaho. So, can I ask you this? Um, actually, let me go back and let's talk about your conversion just briefly, because you're a convert to the LDS church, right? Yes, I am. And I think that may have some importance when it comes to talking about uh, what happened with polygamy, because as I understand it, 
Your husband, Joe, though you weren't married at the time, was instrumental in your conversion. Is that correct? Uh, yes, he was. Missionaries had knocked on my door before. I was about 17 when we, when my first husband and I started dating. And missionaries had knocked on my door, and I just slammed the door in their face. I was not very nice. And then when I started dating Joe, then he um, he was going to church with his family because his family, his dad was in the bishopric. And, um, and of course, my first husband, Joe, was not... Um, he wasn't a prime example of a TBM. He, he was a, he was a football player. I was a cheerleader and I wasn't a member, but I was a, I was, I never drank. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. He did. Um, so we started dating and going to church and I would see these um, priests up there blessing the sacrament and they had been drinking that I knew of uh, before that. Um, the night before, but they were, you know, it was interesting. Was one of those priests Joe? <laughs> he didn't ever pass the sacrament. <laughs> okay, so at least he had integrity as far as that was concerned. But but you knew that these other priests were up there blessing and passing, the, at least blessing the sacrament, had been drinking the night before. And so you thought, yes. hmm, what's up with that? There seems to be a little bit of a inconsistency. I didn't here. really, well, at first I thought, huh, oh, well, I, okay. <laughs> I didn't really know that much about you know, the Mormon church. I knew that the, some of them got up real early in the morning and they looked exhausted. And when I saw them at school, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, why, why, what do you, you look so tired. Oh, I got up at five o'clock and they're like, what for seminary? What's that church? Oh my gosh. You're kidding. I was not a, I was an agnostic slash atheist. Really? So, uh, no, I never was raised in religion. I went to church with my parents until I was probably five or six, and then they got divorced. And I went to a Unitarian church a couple times when I was about 10 with my mother, and that was it. Mm. So how did so. you become a Mormon, Sue? Well, <laughs> well, since I was dating a Mormon, I decided to take the missionary lessons and um, took the missionary lessons and felt like, I wanted to get baptized and Joe didn't want, he didn't want me to do it for him. So he didn't even come to my baptism. He didn't he come to your baptism. He was actually working out of state. Okay. And he didn't want to come. He didn't want to baptize me. His best friend baptized me and his best friend's dad uh, confirmed me. Wow. So, and I knew them from, you know, I knew his best friend from school. So, yeah, so I was baptized when I was 18. My I was still living at home until uh, I was 18, and I didn't get baptized until my actually my parents moved away from me. So <laughs> they moved away. I lived alone, and then I got baptized, and then we decided to get married. And that's another story that I don't think I'll go into. Okay, don't have to. <laughs> oh, but um, <laughs> but you got married in the temple. No, nope. we because oh. I had gotten uh, baptized in October and we got married December thirty first of nineteen seventy three. Were you still eighteen? No, nope. I had just turned nineteen in November. Joe was eighteen. Joe was oh, he's younger than you. He's two months younger than me. He turned oh. nineteen in January. <laughs> okay, well, at least you were nineteen when you got married, but he was eighteen. You got married, but later you were sealed in the temple. Yes, a year later we were still in the temple. 
And then you started living the Mormon dream. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the temple was interesting. How do you mean? Well, I mean, I was looking at all this stuff and I got the packet for Christmas from my in-laws. And when you say packet, not- hang on. When you say packet, what do you mean? I think I know, but go ahead and tell us. You know, the robes and the sash, that big, long sash and the apron and the little hat thing, the little veil. Yeah. Yeah. All that. But of course, I wasn't allowed to look at it until um, I went to the temple. So and I thought it was pretty strange, but, you know, everybody was doing it like it was normal. So, you know, yeah, (laughs) I'm like, okay, this is a lot, but okay. Yeah, I know. You look around and you think, this is kind of odd, but here's all these people that I know and respect, and they're doing it too, and they don't seem to think it's a big deal, so I guess it must not be a big deal. That's right. It's interesting you got that packet, because I actually never had my own set of temple robes. I was always a guy who would go there and rent. Yeah. I kept them in business at the temple laundry. (laughs) And at that counter where you could rent your temple clothes. But I never had my own temple clothes. But it's interesting because I guess I had never thought of the fact that you had never been to the temple. You're given a packet of temple clothes as a present before you go to the temple for the first time with the injunction that you cannot look at them until you go to the temple. Is that right? That's right. And I didn't look at them. I was a good girl. Well, good. There wouldn't have been that much to see anyway, I expect. I mean, geez, it's a robe and a, a sash and an apron, right? Yeah. And a hat and a veil. Yeah. I don't know what I would have thought. I don't know if that would have scared me away. Probably not. What's interesting to to note is that a week before we went to the temple, of course, we were living in California. We flew or we drove to Salt Lake City. Got to go to that Salt Lake City temple. And um, the night before the night before we were going to leave to drive there, uh, Joe got drunk. (laughs) What? Yeah. Don't ask me what that was all about. But when he came in, we were living with his parents at the time. We'd been there for about a month. And, um, I looked at his mother. I mean, he just walked right past us and went to the bedroom. And I looked at his mother like, Oh my gosh, he's been drinking. And she goes, Oh no, he hasn't. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So Joe got, Joe got plastered the night before you got married in the Salt Lake Temple? Uh, not the night before, because we drove. We stopped at my parents' house. My parents were living in Sun Valley, Idaho. And we went skiing there for a couple of days. And then we went on We went on to Salt Lake. So no more episodes after that. Okay, good, good. He just had to get it out of his system. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you get to, by the way, you're in the Salt Lake Temple, and you're going through for your endowment for the first time in the Salt Lake Temple. Is that correct? Yes. Was it a live session? Yes. And what did you think of that? Oh, my gosh. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> funny in what way? Because I've never um, been to a live session either. Because all these, these old old people, probably my age now, <laughs> but they seemed so old, and they were just acting so funny. Some of them were pretty dull, and the others were really trying to liven it up. And I kind of got into it. <laughs> oh, good, good. I, mean, I thought, I thought. Well, let's listen. Let's make the most of this. <laughs> you know, thinking about it now, I think that the temple endowment session, all it really needs is maybe a few musical numbers. Yeah, I agree. That would be great. We should make the endowment into a musical comedy. <laughs> 
I mean, they're doing that all the time on Broadway. They're taking Les Miserables, make it a, you know, musical or Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put that on the the um the list of things to do, all right? Okay. Maybe we could work a tap number in there. Yeah. A chorus line. <laughs> anyway, but going on, going on. But you're living the dream. You have these children, right? And and everything's great. And I'm assuming, you correct me if I'm wrong, you're all in. Joe's all in. Kids yeah. are kids are kids, but you're raising them in the church, uh, taking them to yeah. church every Sunday. You've got callings. You're fulfilling them. And yeah. then you have this wonderful experience in your life in 1990 when you meet me. <laughs> right? I have to go, we have to digress a little bit. Okay. Because um, Joe was pretty um, emotionally abusive. Um, hmm. I always felt like I was on the verge of getting divorced. And so, you know, I had to do more and more and more and um, to make sure he was happy and uh, wasn't going to leave me and that kind of thing. So, I mean, he did threaten it a couple times. Well, I had no idea. But then again, why would I? You know, yeah, we're just sort of, we're sort of friends, but, you know, not really good friends. I mean, we don't, you know, do stuff together except for those things that I've talked about and a couple of times when our families got together and did things. But right. yeah, of course, you know, we got to put on the, the face, the happy face. Yes, we do. That happy face is important. Yeah. So I'm sorry to hear that. I had no idea about that. But then you met me and things brightened up for your life. Oh, yes. <laughs> and but so here's the deal. Uh, Joe is a, a member of the bishopric and yeah. at some point at some point in the 1990s he starts getting interested in polygamy how did that happen well um first when we were living in the same ward as you we um he started uh kind of thinking that it was the government was not good. He didn't want, he wanted to run, go under the radar. Um, he wanted really to uh, live off the grid, um, grow our own food, um, do that kind of thing. So uh, that's kind of where it started. So once we get to Idaho, I don't know, I'm sure you remember the living conditions when we visited. Uh, yeah, can I describe them? <laughs> You bet. I mean, from your perspective, yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're driving over there to Idaho. So you can see Joe. And I say hi to Joe. I think uh, we spend the night there. And uh, then we take off for Utah the next day or something you like that. You spent the night there? Where did you sleep? I slept in a, um, well, it was a, a building. It was a, a room that was constructed, I think, out of plywood and had a plywood sort of bed in it. And I think there must have been some kind of uh, mat on the bed for me to sleep on <laughs> and uh but no it was um it was positively primeval yeah and i remember you you were cooking and you and there was this big and i'm sorry i don't know the term for it but you're you're cooking over an open fire the meals for the family <laughs> and you had this big cast iron circular thing that was kind of deep and you made uh some kind of a, a dish out of it it was like a pie but not a cherry pie. It was like a, an egg. You had eggs in it and meat oh, in it. Oh, it was probably a Dutch oven. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. You can see yeah, a Dutch oven. Exactly. And um, so that's kind of the different. There are different buildings that were made out of plywood there, I think. Uh, and so yes. that's all I remember. And we had a semi-truck that we, that we also had a semi-truck <laughs> that one of the kids slept in. 
You know, I think that we uh, might have been there for a day and maybe two nights because I remember that there was an event that was going on. By the way, where is this located in Idaho? What was it? Kuskia or? Kuski. Kuski. Kuski, Idaho. And we actually didn't even live in that little town. We lived in uh, Clearwater. It was a town, but there was no, um, there was nothing there. There was no post office or there was about a hundred people in that little town. Yeah. So there, but there was an event that night. It was like a dance or something in Kuski. I don't know if you remembered it. But I don't remember that. Okay. And anyway, there's a bunch of people who are there. They all seem very nice. And I'm not sure I was picking up on any particular polygamy vibe. But when did Joe? Well, there wasn't at the time. Okay. So when did it ha- would start happening? Well, um, we were uh, living in that ward, uh, maybe for a year. And then a family moved into the ward that had, well, I don't think all, all 17 kids weren't there, but they had had 17 kids. And the husband and wife um, had been TBMs. And then they got into polygamy and got excommunicated. And then they, uh, the second wife passed away. So they got back into the church, but they still wanted to, they still believed in polygamy. They still wanted to live it. Um, they were working in the temple. They were, they had callings at church. Um, and so they would talk about polygamy with anybody that would listen. And so, did Joe listen? Oh yeah. He loved those people. I, to tell you that. Okay. So let me go back a little bit. Um, Joe had had a little fling, um, not too long before that. So I went everywhere with him. I even went to work with him. I got up on roofs with him. I did everything. Cause he was in um, construction. He was in construction. Yes. And so, um, and my kids, we were homeschooling the, the, younger two. Well, all of them were being homeschooled. My oldest woman had, didn't want to move with us. He had graduated. Um, so we had four there with us, but he had cheated on me. And of course he said he didn't sleep with her, but that's neither here nor there. I, I, anyway, he, um, so I went everywhere with him. So these, he, he really latched onto these people and went over, we'd go over to their house and they'd talk about polygamy and they'd, give us books and tell us about the uh, Doctrine and Covenants 132, where it says, uh, I'm pretty sure it says in there that you have to live it in this light. Of course, it talks about the new and everlasting covenant, and they they think that's plural marriage. So, and you got to do it in this life. And Joe had me ordering uh, the Journal of Discourses, the everything. And so he finally realizes this prophet that we have is not a prophet. We haven't had a prophet since Wilfred Woodruff, um, who did the manifesto. Um, and so um, one day I, I came home and um, he had the 132 opened on the bed. And I'm like, well, what's that all about? And he says, well, God wants me, wants us to have another wife. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And I, I threw the book on the floor and um, we fought about that probably for um, almost a year, maybe, maybe six to nine months. I don't know how long it was a long time. It was constant. 
And he used every angle. Don't you need help? You know, no, I don't need help. We've been married all these years and I've been doing everything by myself. I don't need help. Oh, you mean like you help know? around the house? Yeah. And then the garden, because we had a huge garden. And with the kids, I mean, the youngest one at that point was, I don't know, 12. Yeah. <laughs> Out of five kids, I've, I've done it this far. I think I can keep doing it. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, don't you need a, you know, it'd be nice if you could have a friend that lives with us. And I'm like, uh, no. Uh, his next angle was, well, you know, you can't give me everything that I need. And so different wives would provide the different things that I need. Did he elaborate on that? (laughs) Because that sounds pretty bad. Um, Yeah, I'm like, what in the world? I I didn't really think too much about it, except that I thought, what do you mean needs? I can't meet all your needs. And I don't know what that meant. Uh, But later on, I realized, I finally figured out, okay, I know what he's talking about. Uh, But What was he talking about when you figured it out? When I figured it out, we had moved, uh, you want me to move that far forward? Okay. No, no, I don't don't want you to move that far forward. I just want to find out what it was he meant. Well, I was meeting the employee need. The employee need? Yeah. I did all the errands. I went and got all his materials that he needed. If he, we had heavy equipment, if a part broke, I had to get in my little car and drive an hour and a half away to get a new part made. If you know hydraulic hoses and all that, uh, I almost had to drive four hours away to get something. Um, and I mean, I would drive trailers that had culvert in the back. Some of it fell off one time. So, I, and once again, I don't want you to get to Mexico because I think that's where you're going. But, but basically, that's the need that you filled for Joe. I figured out that's what that's what I was meeting. Okay. Obviously. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. <laughs> well, this is going on for a year, and you're going back and forth. The sense I'm getting, Sue, the sense I'm getting is that he keeps bringing it up, trying all these different angles, and you're doing your best really not to engage with him and to sort of ignore it and hope that hope right. will go away. Right. And of course, at this point, I mean, we had had a really rocky marriage and um, after he had the little fling, um, I became her friend when he was having this little fling with her and I invited her to lunch. We went on walks together. Um, Sue? We even shared Sue. the same birthday. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sue, I got to ask you. Okay, so you're. You, this is after you know that Joe had a fling with this girl, uh-huh. this lady, whatever. Uh, you knew that, and then you decided you're going to become her friend. Yeah, because um, I figured, you know, if she's if if I would get upset and be mad, then that's going to push Joe further away from me. So I didn't want that. I didn't. Like, I thought the worst thing in the world was divorce. You don't want a divorce. I mean, there's no such thing as a divorce. Right. Not in the Mormon church. No. Not with the temple marriage. Nope. That's right. I even told her that I sat down with her when I first found out, and I said, you just have no idea what you're doing because, um, you know, we've, we've been sealed in the temple. And she goes, oh, I know all about that. Joe told me all about that, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so Joe yeah. told her all about that, huh? 
Yeah. And she was, she was about 16 years younger than we were. Oh, well, if, if it's not too personal, how old were you at the time? Well, she was 24. So you were 40. Yeah. Oh, and this is all in Idaho. Yes. Okay. And I, I used to drive by her house every day. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure it was very difficult for you. Yeah. Yeah. So you're either with her or with Joe, but making sure that they're not together without you around. Right. Okay. We did. We, after a little bit, we quit getting together, but you want to hear the funny thing is that Joe decided, okay, I'm not, I'm going to end this thing with her and I'm going to stay with you, but I think we should take her a book of Mormon, her and her husband, a book of Mormon. Um, is that the funny part? <laughs> well, I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> why, why do you find that funny? Well, they were having a fling and then he, he, and he didn't even think he was in trouble at church, I guess, cause he didn't sleep with her. He did make out with her. He said with her shirt off. <laughs> oh my gosh. You might okay. want to bleep that out. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, we're keeping it all in Sue. Oh, great. <laughs> we're keeping it all in. So I kept telling him, I'm really worried about your salvation. I think you should really go talk to the bishop because I, you know, you need to resolve this. Well, he went and talked to the bishop supposedly, and then nothing happened. Nothing. Mm. Okay. So how, so this goes on for a year. Um, I think I can imagine how you're feeling during this time. I think you've described some of that, but, but what happens after the year's over? Is that the time when he says, okay, well, I'm going to cut it off with this, uh, 24 year old girl. I'm going to stay with you, but we should. And then, yeah, and then, well, that's not when we were talking about polygamy. It came a few years later. Okay, so around what year did the polygamy come in? Um, he started probably 1999. I'm not real sure, 1999 or 2000. Okay. Well, I know you're over there in Idaho, but there were times when you were back in Washington, and I would see you, I would see Joe every now and again, and... He seemed to, I see at church, and he seemed to want to talk to people. He seemed very anxious to talk to people about his newfound religious beliefs. Yes, he did. And this is, of course, what the church is very concerned about. The LDS church is very concerned about is people who uh, go back to the roots of the LDS church. They practice polygamy, which the LDS church has eschewed now since uh, around 1904, 1906, depending upon how you calculate it, for 100 years, okay? Right. And anybody who practices polygamy in the LDS church now is excommunicated. And one of their concerns is, is they've got all these people who are flying under the radar, who are polygamous, who present as active, faithful, regular Mormons, non-polygamous Mormons. They go to church, they go to the temple, and meanwhile, they are talking to different members and trying to cull the herd and get the membership to become polygamous under the theory of the field is white already to harvest. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. But yeah, that's about, that's how it felt for us. For me, that's how it felt. Well, because these children that of this family that moved in that the polygamist family mm-hmm. that wanted to, you know, they were preaching it. Um, their kids all believed it. So, um, of course, because they lived in it. 
Well, let me ask you this, because I know you've got, at the time, late 1990s, your two youngest are females. Yes. They're daughters. And one of the concerns that I've heard about is that in these polygamous groups, they are not huge. They are rather limited. They have lots of kids. Around half of them are females. And so there ends up being this system where the adult men start marrying the daughters of other members of this small group. Did anything like that happen? Well, I'll tell you, um, before we were into the polygamy thing yet, yet, I mean, I had finally said, okay, fine. Um, but we hadn't found anybody yet. Um, actually, Joe felt like it was supposed to be somebody. So I said, okay. When I told him that I was going to live the polygamy, um, he said, well, good, because I was going to do it with or without you, which I don't know what that meant. Either he'd do it behind my back or he'd leave me to do it. You have to read all the way through section 132 to understand that, Sue. <laughs> That's in the back where the um, good stuff is. You know, I, I kind of blocked that, some of that stuff out because, um, and it, ha yeah, I, I blocked some of that stuff out. Remember, so. it's the law of Sarah where you have to get the permission of the first wife to marry a second, oh, a second yeah, wife. And then, right. but if the first wife doesn't agree, then you can go ahead and marry the second wife anyway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so anyway yeah isn't that funny oh but I've got God. to ask you this because I want to pursue what we're talking about but now you're to this point where you said okay I'll do it after a year what brought you to that point what had to happen in your mind and heart to get you to the point where you would agree to do something that I'm presuming you found extremely objectionable because I was so tired of fighting about it I was like done okay fine I'm gonna stay in this marriage and I, you know, I can do anything to make anything work. So I wanted it to work out. I didn't want my kids to have to have divorced parents. I went through that and it was, I, you know, it was hard because you feel guilty if your one parent's coming to visit you. And I mean, even into adulthood. Yeah. So um, I didn't want my kids to have to do that. And I wanted to have the husband, the father of my children, visiting my grandkids and visiting my, you know. So I didn't want, I didn't want that separate thing. So um, I've got to tell you this, okay, because there were some rumors that I heard. And actually, I think they were after the fact. It wasn't while it was really happening that you and Joe were living out of a trailer. And this was, I think, uh, up uh, in Washington. but that he had handbooks or workbooks uh, that you had to fill out and do like lessons in and write the lessons in the workbook. And the reports that I heard were that you were doing it because he was having you do it, but that actually you would be sobbing from time to time. Yeah. When he wasn't there, he was at work. Um, yeah, I, I would be doing that. And actually we were staying with some friends that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, the, the husband passed away recently. Um, we were staying at their house at that point, and um, his wife would hear me crying. But what you is, know, what, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We'd sit there and talk to them about this whole this whole thing, and I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah." But then in the bedroom, I'd be crying. So you're putting on the face, the happy Mormon face, and now it's the happy yeah. Mormon polygamous face. Yes. And at that point it was, 
Um, you need to look, you know, if I had a certain sad look on my face or something about it, um, that I got talked to about that by Joe. That wasn't allowed. Wasn't allowed. No. Mm -mm. So did you ever have a religious conversion to this? And by that, I mean, did you ever think that this is really what God wanted? Well, yeah. At one point I thought, why am I not getting, this was after we'd already taken a second wife. I thought, why am I not getting this? I kept saying to Joe and and the second wife, uh, something is wrong with this picture. This doesn't feel right. You know, and Joe would say, well, you just need to fast and pray because you're listening to the wrong, the wrong spirit. It's Satan that you're listening to, not God. So, um, yeah, Satan wants Joe to have only one wife. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. It seems so clear now, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. But it was very confusing then, I imagine. (laughs) Um, It was horrible. I cried every single day. In fact, well, are we too far? Should we wait until we get to that first wife? Well, um, is the first wife after this? Uh, No. Um, This, the first, so this is what happened was, uh, uh, probably some people are going to know who Tom Green, do you know who Tom Green is? I don't think so. He's a polygamist. He was on Oprah Winfrey with his five wives years and years and years ago. Um, Probably 10 years before. I don't know how many years before we even moved to Idaho. But um, he, his priesthood um, was, that's air quotes. um, The priesthood that he had was different than the priesthood in the Mormon church. So, and I don't remember all that stuff. I've kind of, I kind of let that, I didn't listen to it. So um, my husband, Joe, invited Tom Green and two of his wives to our house to talk about his priesthood. And um, he invited members of our ward in Idaho to come and listen and some of them were, you know, they didn't want to pay taxes. They were uh, off the grid. They were anti-government, that kind of thing. And leaning toward, I mean, they would get in, into groups in ch- at church in the parking lot and talk about polygamy, these men, um, during Sunday school. That was their Sunday school class. And so he invited these people over. Well, of course, word got back to the branch president and the stake president. And so they wanted to come us to come in to, to talk to them. And Joe didn't want to. He, he said, no, you come to our home if you want to talk to us. So they came to our home and talked to him. Mostly, and I just sat there, you know, right, next, right by his side. And they turned to me and said, so um, are you, you know, do you support your husband? And I said, of course I do you know, you're supposed to support your husband. So supported my husband. And um, then they left. Well, of course, we got a letter for a church court that we didn't attend. Uh, But in the meantime, the state president called us called and said, you know, we really would like to just talk to you before this church court, because, you know, I don't know if we should really go through with this. And Joda said, well, you know, if you feel like you should, You know, you need to listen to the spirit and you probably should. And so that was that. 
So we got excommunicated for this meeting. We weren't even living polygamy yet. So Joe said, if you feel like you should, you probably should. Basically, Joe's of the opinion at this point that the modern LDS church is in a state of apostasy since Wilford yes. Woodruff. So he's, fi- he's fine. He doesn't really want to be a member of the church anyway. That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, because he already is. He's already a member of the church. Um, they ain't the... 1900 church the true church the true church yeah before yes. it went astray the church of jesus christ of latter-day polygamous <laughs> yeah okay so what happens then well let's see so a week after this um meeting with the state president of course well i should probably go back even okay um i before that happened right after i said okay, I'll go ahead and live polygamy, you know. And um, we called it plural marriage, not polygamy. Um, And so um, he had somebody in mind. And, of course, he wanted me to go talk to her. Hang on a second, because tell me about this. He's got somebody in mind. This is in Idaho, right? Yes, and this was a (laughs) – gosh, there's so much. Uh, well, I'm fascinated by this, by this idea that he's got somebody in mind. And how old is this somebody? Uh, well, she was older. She was probably 27. And we were 47 or something like that, 40. She was 40, older. <laughs> it's funny you 46. say she. You mean she was older than 24, the affair <laughs> yeah. girl? Okay. She was 27. She's 27. Um, She's 20 years younger than Joe. And she was pretty ugly. She had a skin problem. And so I immediately, I'm like, well, it can't be the sex because, I mean, she's pretty homely. Right. And so, so um, of course, I went to talk to her and she said, no, she didn't feel like she was supposed to be in our family. And I okay, went, oh, Sue, Sue, hang on a second. I, I love what, the story. It's incredible. But you are Joe's wife. You don't want to be doing polygamy. You hate it. <laughs> And he tells you he wants you to go and talk to her to, what, propose to her? Propose marriage to Joe? She wants to become a part of our family. Okay. So Joe gives you the words to say? Yeah. Tell her, how does does this happen? When you, as Joe's wife, are going to this 27-year-old young lady, what, what does that look like? I was, I didn't like it. I was crying. And even when I was talking to her, I was crying. Uh, it, it was horrible. What did you say? Did, did you say, hey, you want to be a member of our family? <laughs> well, we went on a walk yeah. and um, talked to her. I talked to her and just asked her. We just chit-chatted. And then I said, do you want to be a part of our family? Now, this girl was a member of the family that had told Joe about the polygamy. Okay, so she, she already seventeen kids. So she already knows about polygamy. Oh yeah, she yeah. Okay, you don't have to do all this groundwork. No. Mm-mm. Okay, and you say, and so you say, would you like to be part of a family? So she understands what that means. Yes, she does. Okay, and she yeah. said. She said she didn't feel like ours was the family she was supposed to be in. Okay. Which is which and is code I'm, which is which is code for Joe? No way. <laughs> and I got to tell you, the whole time 
that Joe was investigating polygamy and talking to this family, we were teaching the young single adults. In your and, church? Yeah. And he was eyeing the girls, trying to figure out who would go for it. And um, because I said I would, I think I said I would do it before the meeting, before he had Tom Green up. But anyway, yeah. And he would, I'm out and, and say, I think she might go for it. Or, you know, she's, she's really spiritual. I think she's in tune with that, that kind of thing. So he's in a position teaching the young single adults, which is basically 18 to 26, right? Yes. And he's using that position to scope out prospective wives. Yes. And at that point, he, we, we were team teaching together in the same together every Sunday. And I would complain about what he was teaching them because he wasn't going with the manual. And so um, then he, um, he said, then why don't you just teach one Sunday and I'll teach the next Sunday. And then he says, you shouldn't be teaching out of that manual anyway. Well, if he's not teaching out of the manual and you know, I can't find too much fault with him for that on principle. Well, <laughs> what is he teaching? I mean, is he getting into, is he handing out polygamy or things when he's teaching? He, he is kind of laying groundwork for the church going astray type of stuff. Mm -hmm. He even invited some, he says, if you guys want to come over and talk about it later, you know, to the girls, um, go ahead and come over. And so they, a couple of them did, and because they were really interested in some subject that he was talking about. But of course, I said, okay, you teach whatever you want. I'll be there. You teach it. I'm not going to teach it. Right. And you're going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course. Eyes on. <laughs> I got to be there. I got to know what's going on. Otherwise, if he would go underground and do whatever he wanted, and right. then I wouldn't know what he's doing. So it didn't pan out with either of these young single adult sisters? Uh, no. However, <laughs> he did ask. He did ask a couple. Well, tell us about that. Well, we had, in fact, I think it was when Tom Green came to our house. Afterwards, people were hanging out. I made a whole bunch of food for everybody. And we're having a big old, you know, dinner and um, just kind of casual out in the yard and inside. Everybody was mingling. And so he wanted to talk to this girl. And I said, okay, well, I'll come. <laughs> so he talked to her and she said, no. And um, But you're there. So Joe is talking to this young single adult who's a Mormon. Yeah. She not, ended not up being on a mission. Not Actually, a polygamist. Her, nope. She's not a polygamist, but her dad... And her dad went into polygamy and they, they ended up getting divorced before he went, I think before he went into polygamy, he married one of those 17 kids. How does Joe broach the subject as a 47 year old man with a young single adult sister who is Mormon and not a polygamist? How does he bring up the subject about, Hey, do you want to get married to me? We feel like you should be a part of our family. He always made it a part of our family type thing so that it made it sound like we were all going to be, you know, this big, happy um, family. Right. I mean, and to, I got to tell you, um, a lot of this talking that he did or whatever, I kind of glazed my eyes over and just went with it. I'm like, whatever, you know, I didn't pay attention. 
I was there making sure nothing was happening. That's all I cared about. (laughs) In a sense, disassociating yourself. Yes. From what was going on. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But none of those bit, but he did get this, uh, uh, but eventually he does find somebody, right? Did he find somebody up here in the States or only down in Mexico? Yeah. No, this was in Idaho. And it was a part, kind of a part of that family. It was one of the, one of the uh, children, of course, he was an adult child, but his, he went into polygamy and it was one of his kids. She was uh, 17. So Joe's first plural wife was 17. Yeah. So I had stopped off at somebody. I don't remember why I stopped off somewhere. Maybe his, her aunt was going to teach my, um, I don't know what she was going to teach. I dropped something off there, either a lesson manual or something. And um, this girl was there. The 17-year-old was there um, helping to tear up some carpet. And so I saw her and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And so then I went home and told Joe about her. And he goes, oh, that might be our next wife. You need to invite her to dinner. And I said, she's 17. No. And so... He's like, no, it, Mary, Mary was, you know, the Virgin Mary. <laughs> that Mary. <laughs> and she was 14 and um, Joseph Smith, blah, blah, blah. Helen Mark Kimball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, of course, what did I do? I invited her and her aunt came with her as a chaperone. Probably a good idea. Yeah. And we had dinner and then um, he talked to her. Yeah. So uh, she agreed and he invited the 17 year old to be a member of your family. Well, not right then, actually. I think we had him over a couple times and then we had her parents over. And um, at that point, um, then he asked her if she wanted to be a part of his family, our family. And she was raised in polygamy and she had actually been married already to somebody. Really? Yes. And he was, um, he, she was his fifth wife. She was his first, this this other guy. Of this other guy. And he was a, she was a fifth wife. And, um, he passed away when she was 16 and he was 62. Oh my gosh. How old was she when she married him? I don't know. Younger than 16, I I guess. Except that she was very young when she was starting to be groomed and uh, actually sexually molested. I mean. Well, yeah, raped. But of course that that's, well, they, he didn't do that. (laughs) I actually don't, I, I don't know if she ever did that with him. I know that he played with her a lot, but I mean, he was old, so. Right. I don't know how the functioning works of every male at that age, but <laughs> no problems here in case you're wondering. That's awesome. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure everybody knows that. Sorry. <laughs> oh my lord. So his first plural wife, 17 years old. She's already been married before, but no children. Right. No children. Um, so he passed away and, uh, she, I don't know the year before because she was 17 then. Right. So, uh, yeah. So what is the, what is the marriage like? The, I don't have, I don't know anything about that. Why I know not? that her first. No, with Joe. 
Oh, the what's ceremony. their relationship like? The ceremony, the marriage, the wedding. Oh, gosh. Ugh. <laughs> well, there. I, I was there. Our two youngest daughters were there. Oh, they were the gosh. only ones at home. Joe made him come. Um, and we had this little altar that he had made on our property. And um, okay, hang on a second. Joe made an altar on the property in Idaho. Yes. Is it outdoors? Yes. It was and in some trees. What does it look like? Oh, there was a big rock there, and that's about it, and just trees around it. And yeah. What did he do at the altar? I mean, did he have this altar for other purposes, or did he build it specifically for go, this wedding? He would go pray there, and he would go, you know, do stuff like that. Okay. Pray at the altar? Yeah. Okay. And by the way, just in case anybody's listening who is not a Mormon who's been to the temple, there is in the endowment, there is an altar that is an important element and an important piece of furniture in the endowment. I think it's probably the only piece of furniture in the endowment other than the seats that everybody sits in, right? Right. Oh, and and the mirrors that look off into eternity. Oh, right. But that's in the ceiling room. Oh, true. Yeah. Sorry. Already you're forgetting. So, <laughs> but no, and this altar is a place where uh, prayer is offered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Actually, nobody's actually sacrificed on the altar in the endowment. I hate to disappoint people, but that is a place where prayer is offered. And that's what Joe would do with his own personal altar. Yes. Okay. So yeah. go, now tell us about the wedding again. The, you go to the altar. Yes. We, and hit, yeah, we had people there visiting, you know, at the wedding. Um, and, um, well, I had to hand, they just like they did. I mean, I don't know where he got this information, but I mean, the wife, the first wife hands off the second wife or third wife or whatever it is to the next, you know, to the husband and gives her permission for it. Can you so, describe, can you describe that happening in first person? Because you are the first wife. Is that okay? No, I, I don't. I don't remember. All I remember is uh, them saying, do you, do you give permission or something? And then uh, yes. And then I handed her off or maybe Joe off to her. I don't know. It was was awful. Who's officiating? Who's doing this wedding? Um, who did the wedding? It was somebody with the priesthood. I don't know who did it actually. I don't remember that. Okay, but there's somebody there who's officiating, who's performing the wedding. Yeah. He has the priesthood that's necessary within this polygamous group to be able to do this. Yeah. And there's other people present. And uh, Oh, my gosh, yes. Her family was all there. And my sister happened to call that day. And one of the, one of the wife that, the 17 year old, her best friend was married to her dad. So um, she answered the phone and my sister said, Oh, is Sue there? And she says, "Um, No, she's not here right now. Are you coming to the wedding? And she's like, what wedding? And the girl says, well, Joe and Sylvia. Oh no. Yeah. So then when I talked to my sister's late sister later, she's like, what's Joe and Sylvia? I said, Oh, he's performing the wedding. 
because nobody lived close to us. My family didn't live close to us. And I have a very small family. My mom didn't have any brothers and sisters and my dad didn't either. So, um, so I had two sisters is all, and my brother had passed away years earlier. Um, so anyway, yeah, she didn't believe me when I told her that because my parents called me then and said, we know what's going on, blah, blah, you know. And then after that, they pretty much didn't talk to me anymore or my, or my children. Mm. So that ended that relationship for a while. Yeah. Okay. Well, did they basically replicate kind of uh, what happens in the temple with kneeling on other, each side of the altar? Probably. <laughs> I really don't remember. It wasn't a ceiling. It was just a marriage ceremony. The ceiling came later. Well, can you tell us about that? That was when we lived in Mexico. No, okay. no, it wasn't actually. No, it was when we, we, we were still living in Idaho and we went to Sylvia was the second wife. We went to her parents' house and um, they decided they wanted to be sealed too. And we also made garments, by the way. Um, Tell us the about that. Thing. Oh my gosh. They were uh, button up garments and they, um, no, they weren't. They had ties. They didn't have buttons or zippers. They had ties and they had a collar. They're kind of like the garments um, when you first went, let's see, what year did you go to the temple? 1979. Okay, then you know all about all that stuff. Uh, you know, They're the one temple piece garments? is what you're saying. What? They're one piece is what you're saying? One piece and long to the wrist and it's to the neck, up to the neck with a collar. Do you remember that? No, that was actually before 1979. 1979, they were to the knee and just T-shirt oh. on the, and they were just getting in the process mm. of going from one piece to two piece at that time period. But no, I never actually had to wear the long johns. Oh, the long john. These were, yeah, we had, I made those garments. Yeah. So, and we couldn't find any material that, at first, so we had to use just like cotton sheet type material. And you sewed them? <laughs> they were very hot, very uncomfortable. I can only imagine. Uh, I, I've read a little bit about the way that they made the marks in the garments. Can you describe how that, how you did that? Well, I mean, you zig. What do you mean? The marks. The marks of the holy priesthood. Well, I just sewed them in, but they were much bigger and more prominent than the ones I'd ever seen. Right. Um, what I of a garment from the you know early church. Yeah, what I read was, I mean, in the current garments, they basically just have a little bit of stitching and, and much smaller. But I re remember reading that in the er early garments, the original, they would actually cut those yes, marks. Yes, we did. I used a little, I zigzagged on each side and then um, like a buttonhole type thing with the different um, symbols. And then you would take the seam ripper and, and rip a little bit up in there. Yeah. Right. So we did. Because originally, I mean, now we just have the the little uh, the sewing marks, or um, I'm sure you can give me the better term for it, uh, that shows that it's been sort of like so. But back then, it was actually sewed because there was a cut into the garment yeah. that was done. You're right. Yeah. And that's what it was. That's what we did. Okay. So you made garments. and then, But there was a separation, you said, between the marriage and the ceiling. 
I had well, no idea about this. Well, they kind of got got uh, married, but then we didn't know how to do the ceiling because we didn't have other temple clothes or anything, you know, the ceremonial stuff. Yeah. So Joe had me go ahead and order that, even though we'd been excommunicated. Yeah. And my temple recommend was expired. Maybe it wasn't expired, but I was able to order them on the, um, on the phone. Yeah. And, sent, and they sent them out. So we had extra ter- ceremonial clothing. So, so after the, so they needed the temple clothing in order to do the ceiling after the marriage. Well, we didn't do it right after. It was probably it, it was probably six months later. Okay. Now I know we're just we talking together. We all got together. They put sheets up. We did the whole thing. We did the whole ceremony in somebody's house. The whole thing in Idaho. And actually, this was in Utah, Grouse Creek, Utah. That's Grouse where so- Creek. Grouse Creek. Grouse Creek. Mm-hmm. That's where Sylvia's parents lived. So when you say putting the sheets up, you mean for the veil? For the veil, yeah. <clears throat> and the whole ceremony, and so you get to be there for that as well? Yes. I know we're, I'm talking a lot about the, the, the details and what happened and this and that, but what on earth is it like to be you going through this? <laughs> um, I'll tell you, I've never experienced such sadness. Um, and heartbreak and I mean, just constant, uh, constant because, um, and my kids, my two kids, you know, they're telling me, you know, dad's up there screwing that girl. And I said, but he's supposed to, it's, you know, God wants him to have another wife. So, you know, and I'd try to tell him that because I had to, because if I didn't, I wasn't supposed to let Joe um, look, you know, he didn't want me to make him look bad. How does it feel telling your kids that God wants Joe to be screwing this girl? <laughs> well, I didn't say that. Well, you practically did. I changed the words a little bit. <laughs> I said, it's, I just said, it's okay. How does it feel? Horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sitting there trying to convince them something that I don't believe. But I was trying to believe because I thought something was wrong with me. Yeah. Because Joe got it. Sylvia got it. Everybody else gets it. Why don't I get it? Apparently, your two daughters didn't get it. No, they didn't get it. <laughs> How old were they at the time? Um, well, uh, my daughter, Stephanie, is the same age as um, Sylvia. She's, I think she's six months younger. So she was, she was probably 16 and a half or something like that. 17, maybe even. So, and Stephanie's one of your youngest daughters. Uh, Yes. But the the youngest one was, you know, two and a half years younger than Stephanie. So uh, So I'm sorry, but I'm reeling here. You've got (laughs) Joe is married to a girl who is the same age as one of his As and yours, youngest daughter, your fourth child. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Okay. Yeah. And I also, you know, we, we passed over the fact, I think we started to go there, but then we got off track. But um, Stephanie, we got invited to some, some people's houses and it was a son of this family 
um, that had taught Joe about um, polygamy. And um, we got invited to their house. Um, they were in our ward. And the wife had had a dream that Stephanie was supposed to be their second wife. They were living in a trailer with like three or four kids. It was it was horrible living conditions. Um, How old is this guy? How old is this guy whose wife comes up with his dream? He's probably 35. So 35, he wants to marry your daughter. Yeah. Who is 17 or so at the time? Uh, at the time, she was 16 at that time. Oh, my gosh. Well, tell, tell me what happens there. How do you find out about this? Does she go? Um, does the wife go to 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 your daughter, or does she come to no, you or Joe they, or they what? Invited us, they invited us over for dinner and told us that. What do they tell you about that the dream? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was, you know, and I wanted to go. Are you kidding me? I, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> but of course, I have to maintain. And because I don't want anything going underground here, I want to know what's going on. So um, I didn't say anything. And on the way home, Joe was like, oh, that's so spiritual. She's so spiritual, you know. Okay, well, we got to teach Stephanie, you know. We got to take this book and give it to Stephanie, tell her she needs to read it and get ready to live polygamy. Oh, my Lord. So, So he did that. And he said... And she just took it. I mean, she didn't say anything. Um, and Joe's like, oh, she's so spiritual. She knows she's supposed to do that. You know, she, whatever. So um, so now Joe's doing to your daughter what he did to you to try and convert you yeah. in the ways of polygamy. Yeah. So then that was before he had the second wife. So I'm sorry. I missed that. That's all right. That before. But um, anyway, so. So he gets Sylvia as a wife and everything, and we're oh back up, back up, back up, Sue, Sue. I I know that you know this story, okay? Yeah. But the audience doesn't know this story. What happened with Stephanie? Nothing. Nothing. Um, she took the book. I don't think she ever read it. She just she's one of those passive aggressive type people. She's like, oh, okay. You know, yeah. if, you, if you just like this, go, okay, then um, you'll get left alone. Okay, but obviously, I, I'm thinking Joe and Mr. Guy who lives in the trailer, who's 35 years old and wants to marry her, and his wife who has a dream that this is supposed to happen, they don't just drop it, do they? Um, I, You know what? I don't know if anything went on behind my back. Um, it could have, because I'm sure that I, I'm pretty sure that I didn't sound all that convinced. You know, I tried to, but, uh, when it comes to my daughter, um, hmm. and Joe said, well, some things are going to need to change. That's what he said. He said, some things are going to need to change if she's going to go there because she's not going to just be a live in cook and maid and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, he probably talked to to the dad or to this guy that had was going to marry Stephanie and said some things need to change. And maybe that's why they backed off. I don't know. I okay. just, nothing really ever happened with it. And Stephanie so, never got married to him. No. Did no. you ever talk to Stephanie privately about this or she to you? I, I don't think I did. 
<clears throat> I think I was I was kind of <clears throat> under the um, I was kind of under the feeling that my kids are going to leave home, go and have their own lives, and I still have to live my own life with my husband. So at at this point, when I'm trying to save my marriage by doing all this stuff, I distanced myself from my kids, which was really sad. <clears throat> and I was trying to, you know, I had to go to work with them every day. I was hardly ever around my kids. And they, I think they really, I mean, I know they suffered for that. And can so. I, can I follow up and say, I was asking about if you had any conversations with her apart from Joe, but then it occurs to me that even though you have all of these feelings and uh, objections going on in your head, you can't allow those to show. And therefore, from Stephanie's point of view, you are linked at the hip with Joe in wanting to pursue this. So maybe she wouldn't feel like she could share with you how she actually felt. I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's how it was because, you know, they're looking at me and I'm trying to convince them that it's right. And no, I, I, I couldn't have had a conversation with her. And if it, even if I had tried, you know, like you said, she's, I'm joined at the hip with Joe. <laughs> we're one, we're a unit. Sue, I hate to ask you this question, but I'm going to anyway. Okay. What would you have done if they had insisted on the marriage to Stephanie and it was getting all lined up and the date was set and the altar's ready? I don't think I could have. I don't know. That's a scary thought. I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> I really don't. And it's kind of what's horrible is uh, what happened with Ashley. I shouldn't have maybe said her name, but that's that's your youngest. My youngest one, because she felt like she would be forced into that. So she ended up um, she actually ended up um, living with or she went to visit her brother. I encouraged her to go visit her brother because um, we were married at that time and to this other second wife. And <clears throat> I was crying every day and getting in trouble every day because I was crying. Even um, at the table, if I started crying, I'd get sent to my room. And Ashley was just appalled at that, that I would even go to my room or that I would even be sent to my room. Um, so anyway, so I encouraged her to go visit her brother so she could get away from the situation. Um, of course I didn't say that. I just said, Oh, why don't you, you know, go visit your brother and you can have fun. And he was in Boise. So, so, um, and then when it came time for her to come back, um, we had Tom Green was, uh, on trial for, uh, Oh, what's it called? Welfare fraud. Kind of sounds off the subject, but that's part of it. Oh, it's all off the grid. <laughs> so Tom Green's down in Utah on trial for for um, welfare fraud, and he married a 14-year-old, so they were trying to get him on statutory rape. Um, and in the closing arguments of, I think it was David Levitt that that did the was the prosecutor. He said that there was a guy up in Idaho that had a daughter that uh, was, you know, young and uh, 
they were worried about her being in the same situation as this Tom Green. Well, whoever was in the courtroom that heard that, that knew Joe, called Joe up and told him that. Um, so the next day, we were on our way to Mexico because Joe was afraid he was going to get arrested. Uh, Sylvia was underage when they had sex. He thought uh, that they must be talking about him. <laughs> yes. Yep. And we were already going to go to Mexico. But uh, so we were going to pick up Stephanie or Ashley on our way through Boise. Boise. But and so we called called my son and he said, well, you're not going to get her because, you know, we have her hid away. Good so for him. We'll be able to find her. How did you feel and about that inside? I, I had mixed feelings. I really I wanted her to be with me. I want I mean, it's my daughter. Right. Um, but I didn't want her to be in Mexico. I knew what the situation was going to be. I didn't want her to be around um, this polygamy. I didn't want her to have a life like that. And so uh, as we drove through Boise, Joe says, you want me to try to find her? And I said, no, just let, just leave, let her stay with Blaine. So we had to go on and go to Mexico. And it was, it was very difficult because um, I was, I was just heartbroken and Sylvia was heartbroken because she was moving away from her family. And um, so Joe focused in on that and tried to help her with that, but he didn't really, he had, he didn't really care about how I felt. I mean, that was his daughter too, you know? Yeah. So it was horrible. So Ashley, the youngest is, is hidden away in Idaho in Boise with her brother. And where is Stephanie? Did she go with you? Oh, no. Joe encouraged her to move out when she was 17 because I was being a bad example to her about polygamy. You, you, okay, you were being a bad example about polygamy. So he encourages her, his daughter, to move out. To move out where? Anywhere or she, into? She ended up moving down to Hurricane because Joe had an uncle down there. And his uncle had a little shop that had a... Um, an apartment above it. So she got a job down there and she lived down there by herself at 17. How'd you feel about that? Horrible. Horrible. This whole polygamy thing isn't really panning out too well for you, is it? <laughs> no. I mean, uh, there's so many facets to it is what's amazing to me, right? Because it's yeah. not just what I would normally think about, which would be, this is a horrible situation, but it's impacting all these other relationships that you have. Yes. And the bad thing is, is what's sad about this, um, now that I can look back on it, of course, um, is that I know that there are other women going through this and have gone through this. There have to be. And they don't feel like there's any other way but to go with it because they don't want to be divorced. And I mean, we'd been together since we were, we were high school sweethearts. We got, you know, sealed in the temple. We've been active members of the church. Um, and so to look back on it and see what the situation was like um, and to think, Oh, I can't be divorced. That would be awful. I'll tell you what, Divorce is a walk in the park. It's a party compared to being in that situation. 
Yeah. So you, you pick up in the middle of the night, basically, mm-hmm. because Joe's worried about the federales or whoever coming down on him as a polygamist and heads to Mexico with you and Sylvia. Yeah. Okay, so you drive. Yeah. Do you know where you're going in Mexico? Yes. <laughs> where are you going? Yes. I'm trying to think if we had already bought a piece of property, which you can't buy a piece of property. We went down to a place called El El Huerfano. Excuse me? El Huerfano. What does that mean? Do you know? Yes, that means the orphan. Um, There's another name. Every town down there, it seems like, has two names. The other name for it is Montes de Oca. And that has to do with the mountain? Yeah, Mountains of the Geese or something like that. I don't know. Escape from Polygamy Mountain. (laughs) Go ahead. So, yeah, we drove down there. Of course, we had uh, some friends in Deming, New Mexico, that were in the same priesthood polygamous group. We stayed there, and then we went across the border. And we made a lot of trips down there. We even smuggled some guns down in down there. We took a travel trailer down there, and I had to drive a big double cab, long bed pickup that had a 26-foot travel trailer on it. I had to drive that myself. And, of course, Joe was in another vehicle with Sylvia. And um, I don't do well with – I don't like driving that kind of stuff. I mean, that's (laughs) crazy, especially on the roads down in Mexico. Okay. So you had me at smuggling guns. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) all this stuff seems like no big deal to me, but I mean, yeah, we smuggled some guns, guns down there. And you mean from the U S to Mexico? Yeah. Well, for what I tell, I mean, I have too many questions. Tell us. (laughs) Joe was a prepper, so he had lots of guns. We even had, I don't know, I don't need to tell you about that stuff, do I? About being a prepper? Yeah. No, no, it's the end of days, and we got to have everything we need to. uh, Yeah, bury it in the ground, a big tank of food and everything, your supply, and then above ground is your decoy. So in case somebody gets that, then you still have your hidden stuff. Wait a second. There's a decoy. Oh, Yeah. Because the government's going to come take everything. And so they, so this is the stuff that they can have, and they'll think they have everything, but yeah. you still have, what, your Derringer strapped to your ankle, <laughs> that kind of thing? The guns that are buried in the ground, with along with the year's supply of food, but it was more than a year's supply of food. I mean, I... Well, I guess the polygamists are the only Mormons who are actually doing that. Are they? <laughs> I don't know if anybody else is except for Elder Bednar who bragged about it in last general conference. But, but, so he's smuggling guns. When you say smuggle, okay, he's taking them over secretly across the border. Yeah, because they're illegal in Mexico. So buying them in the U.S., smuggling them across the border through Mm -hmm. customs. Yeah. So are the guns that are being smuggled in the car that Joe is driving with Sylvia or are they in the rig with you? They're with me. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I think that was going to be the answer? They're with you, of course. So if you get stopped and the guns get found, it's like, I don't know that lady. They're not in my vehicle. They're hidden in um, part of the trailer. Like there's a Joe made of, I don't know, some kind of a hidden panel. 
So they're not actually in the vehicle. They're just in the trailer that your vehicle yeah. is pulling. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you wouldn't have any idea. <laughs> so Well, and, and we had buckets of wheat and buckets of this and that. Um, and the, that was what the Mexicans were focusing on. They're like, you can't have all this food down here. And I don't know how we finally convinced them that we were going to, you know, that it was fine, but. Yeah. So yeah. they allowed you to take all that food. Yeah. Yeah, they don't want any food in Mexico. Is that it? I mean, what? <laughs> they don't, they, and people just don't have extra stuff. You go to the store every day or every couple days, you know? All right. So you're able to smuggle those guns across the border. By the way, I hope the statute of limitations has run on that. <laughs> Let's see. I left in 2003. So I have no idea what the statute of limitations uh -oh. is on gun smuggling. Hmm. <laughs> but, but so you were successful in your gun smuggling endeavors. You got, how many guns was it? Was this? We probably had three. Three. Okay. Only three. Okay. So it's only like, I don't know, 10 to 20 years. <laughs> and there, I don't know if those were in my name or not, but I, Joe had so many guns that I finally had to start buying him in my name because he didn't want to look suspicious. Well, of course not. Because if they find the guns, they don't want them traceable back to Joe. That no. wouldn't be a good idea, would it, Sue? No, no. they're in your name, in the trailer and that you're I pulling. Still have, I still have a gun down there that I left with some people, but because I didn't want to bring it back over the border when I had a suitcase. <laughs> well, that's probably a good idea, by the way. So let me ask you this. I, I know we've been talking about the guns, but tell us about now you're going to be practicing polygamy in beautiful Mexico. Where yeah. in Mexico are you again? Oh, you, you mentioned these names, but I don't recognize uh, one these names. One of them names. was LeBaron. One of them was called LeBaron. And why was it called LeBaron? I, I, it was somebody's name. Well, that, like Ervil? Yeah, those guys. LeBaron. And that, that's a town that's near where you were? Um, that, was, that was at the bottom of the grade, kind of. We had to go up a grade. Um, we were up in the mountains. Yeah. The town that we were close to was called Saragossa. What state in is Chihuahua. it in? Chihuahua. In Chihuahua? Yeah. Is it, yeah. So basically, is this an area where Mormon polygamists go to do their thing in Mexico? No. Not they, at all? It, no. They didn't know anybody that was a polygamist there. Okay. Did you know the LeBarons? Uh, some of them. Did you know they were polygamists? Oh, that town? Yes. The, ta the town, well, yeah, LeBaron. That was, um, yeah, there were polygamists all over in that town. Joe tried to get one of those to be his wife, too. <laughs> and that didn't work? <laughs> no, he tried some other girls in, in Idaho, too. That didn't work. Okay, let me ask you this. Did Joe, did Joe ever end up marrying any other wives? Yes. Yes. In Mexico. How many? Uh, he just married one in Mexico. She was probably 24 and she had three kids already. Um, she had, they were like um, five, three and two years old when Joe married them. And we, uh, Sylvia and I babysat them while they went on their little honeymoon. Oh my Lord. Yeah. And um yeah, so she only stayed about four months. He only knew her a couple weeks before they got married. Yeah. And she only stayed a couple weeks. And what was bad about being polygamist in Mexico is that these Mexicans see that you, um, your husband has more wives 
or more women. So they think that you can have more men. So I was constantly propositioned. Oh, I see. Well, at least yeah. they're kind of egalitarian down there south of the border. <laughs> so they see, so, yeah. the, so the non-polygamist Mexican men see Joe having more women around him. So they figure, well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And therefore, you could have more men. That I mean, it makes sense. And so, therefore, yeah. they're they're propositioning you. Yeah, and we. I met some. I'm I'm kind of a friendly person, so I met. I had some friends, and um, one one family had a little ranch in the in the village where we lived, Montes de Oca, El Puerfano, and they were very good friends. Um, they had three kids and they helped us with different things. They helped us try to get citizenship there. They helped us do all kinds of things. And what was my point in telling you that? I don't remember. Well, we were talking about, um, actually, I'm not even sure. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Cause I was actually thinking about the next thing and not thinking enough oh, about what was we talking knew, about. The guy that was working on their house knew of this girl that was single that was pretty destitute. And so he suggested that Joe take her for a wife. She didn't speak any English, by the way, and Joe doesn't speak Spanish. I happen to speak Spanish. Did you learn it after you got there or before? No, I took Spanish all through high school. And then, of course, I'm supposed to remember it, right? <laughs> right. I guess, I'm guessing you got a lot of practice. Joe told me, do not use a dictionary. You don't need it. You took it in high school. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But he never learned. Uh, no, he, he learned a few things, but I had to translate for them. The, the Mexican wife and Joe had to translate for them. Okay. So let's but pick in, up a couple of threads. So th this, this destitute young, per, young woman that was recommended by the people who were working on the roof of the Hacienda, uh, th that didn't go anywhere. No, that's the one he married. That's the one he married. That's how he got the lead. Yeah. Yeah. And she was only there four months, but I've, I'm sorry. I, I missed that. I, when Sylvia had a baby, when we were in Mexico, we had a home delivery and I delivered the baby in a, in a little blow up pool, <laughs> kiddie pool. In a kiddie pool with filled with water. Yes. Warm water. Yes. So is it, by the way, I know you've shared pictures with me. This is out <laughs> in the middle of freaking nowhere, isn't it? Uh, yes, <laughs> I think there was, there was maybe, I think there was less than 10 families in that town. And most of the, most of them weren't there because the dads were off working in the United States. So and when you say town, I mean, we're talking a about village. a village. Okay. There's so nothing there. There's no, no, nothing, just some houses. Got it. Up in the mountains and it would snow there. And you're one of the houses. So tell me about this delivery. Do you, uh, how much training do you have in um, <laughs> in delivering babies? None. <laughs> None. Um, one of the one of Sylvia's moms, you know, one of her her dad's wives, um, came down and showed me some things. And I she was actually there, but um, and coaching me. And then um, I thought I was going to have to put in a couple stitches for Sylvia, but um, 
she determined this, her mother determined that no, we, we don't need stitches in that. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to be the midwife for the, for the wives having birth, you know, giving birth to these babies of Joe's. It was pretty horrible because, you know, if you picture when you're having a baby, your husband is there lovingly coaching you on all this kind of stuff. And here I am at the other end. It was very uh, horrible. Joe's in the room too. In the room? It was, yeah, it was in our little shack that we had built. That was the main the main part where we we would eat, but then we had our own living quarters. So you're in this room. You, uh, there's the pool. It has warm water in it. You're there to deliver the baby with the coaching and help from Sylvia's mom. But yes. Joe's in the room too. Oh yeah, Joe was right there. And What's I, he doing? Coaching her on, holding her in his arms, basically. Oh my god! Behind, you know, out of the water, but behind her, yeah cradling her, massaging her head, doing whatever he could to make her feel more comfortable. And she and I, so the baby comes out in the water and we let the baby stay there just a little bit because they don't, you know, they haven't breathed any air yet. So the baby and so, and then I pick the baby up and Joe cut the cord. Yeah, I let, I let, (laughs) I, I don't remember the placenta part. So I think I just held the baby and I think Sylvia's mother took care of the rest of that. Well, it sounds like a blessed event. <laughs> I need another word besides horrible. It, the whole thing was just horrific. It was horrible. <laughs> it sounds surreal to me. You know, when I talk about it, it I can't believe I did that. It's like a different person because... Um, I've always been a pretty strong person. Um, Not with Joe. Joe was the only person that I couldn't stand up to. Yeah. And so it seems like a different person back then. It's another time, another place. Another time, another place. This is somebody else. So I'm telling a story about somebody else. (laughs) Right. Dissociating again. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, but no problems with the delivery. You did a great job, apparently. <laughs> no, she did a she did a really good job. She Sylvia. Yeah. Yeah, but you did a good job too. Yeah. <laughs> were there any plans if there were like problems, like a breach birth or anything? Yeah, we we had gone to the little town uh, called um, I don't remember the name of the town, but the next town over had a, a, a clinic there. And we had gone there once and she had seen a doctor and, um, you know, to get checked up and, um, we would go there if there was a problem. Okay. That makes sense. Um, by the way, the part that we had left from where we couldn't remember what I was talking about was you getting propositioned by a bunch of Mexican guys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And my friend, I was, the reason I told you about these friends is they told me, do not ever go anywhere by yourself in Mexico as a woman. You don't do that. But of course I had to because Joe had me doing all the running around and shopping and everything. Cause Sylvia was, um, I was stronger than Sylvia and um, she was very weak, very young. And so he thought that if, if somebody attacked me or something, I could at least put up a fight. So. And that's why you were told by your friends, don't go anywhere by yourself as a woman in Mexico. 
Yeah. She says, you just can't, it's too dangerous. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know if, how many people heard about the people that were, um, gunned down as they were traveling. It's about a year ago. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the, the play Sonora. I think that area. And these were, these were Mormon polygamists living down there and they were related to the LeBarons, weren't they? I think so. Yeah. And I mean, we went down there to, we went right on the same road to go visit, um, people down there. I think it was, um, a relative of Sylvia's that lived down, down there. Who was gunned down? No, she wasn't, but she was living in that town. Oh, well, my <laughs> recollection is, is that it had to do with, um, drug dealers and it didn't have anything to do with polygamy except for the right. fact that the people who were gunned down were Mormon polygamists who were driving along the road. And for some reason, these, um, uh, drug gangs, uh, very well armed, very well organized, thought that there was something dangerous about them to them in the sense of, I don't know, but uh, they went and yeah. they, they killed I think them all. They just, I think that they're just very cold-blooded and they just don't care. And this was a, a road that these people were killed on Yeah, that you drove frequently? Uh, not frequently, a few times. Okay. But when I saw that, I thought, oh my gosh. Gomez Farias, that's the name of the town where we went for medical stuff. That was about a half an hour from El Huerfano. Did you ever have any close calls or dangerous episodes when you were out running around by yourself? Well, yes. <laughs> I'll tell you one. I, I've got a couple of stories. Okay, tell us, tell us one and then maybe okay. two. okay. Uh, we were coming up from um, LeBaron one night, um, and it was um, their Independence Day. It was in it was September sixteenth, I think, is when their Independence Day is. Uh, and we were driving up this grade, and all of a sudden, a truck came up behind us, and um, it I it. <laughs> Felt like it was going close and then, you know, would back off a little bit and close and back like it was taunting us or something. And so um, Joe decided, okay, well, they're just going to go around us. Or I can't remember what happened. Yeah. He thought, oh, they're just going to go around us. So we let them go around us. And then they stopped in front of it. They started stopping and making us stop. And so we, Joe, really quick. Uh, whipped on around them and went up and they chased us all the way up that grade and we were going at high speeds finally at one point they um, we didn't know what happened the window broke out next to me and knocked me over um, and I cut my face and um, they had shot a gun into our vehicle when we went around them anyway so we drove up and got to the town to uh, Saragossa and drove through the town. They were having a big old party there. We just drove right to the police station mm -hmm. and told them what happened. And they did some investigating and they finally, a couple days later, the guys came into town driving around and they put them in jail. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that was one instance. That's one. So you got time for another one before we I get do. to your escape? <laughs> I do. So we, um, <laughs> another time Joe had gone to the States with Sylvia and the little baby. His name was Nicholas. He was born on 
December 25th, Christmas Day. They named him Nicholas. And um, he, he had gone to the States. He left me in Mexico because it was harvest time for the garden. We had mules. We had goats. Um, we had chickens. And so I was supposed to be doing all this canning and taking care of the animals. So, okay. So wh- why is he going to the States with Sylvia and Nicholas? To visit the family? Remember. Huh? To visit Sylvia's family? Probably. And I think they were going to, I, you know, I don't remember why he was going to the States. All I'm thinking is it must have been very, very important to leave you alone, first off, and number two, to do all the work during the harvest. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I can't remember why they were going. Isn't that interesting? Oh, probably to get some things from our property there in Idaho. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. So anyway, um, one night somebody invited this family that I was good friends with invited me to a quinceanera, which is when a girl turns 15, they throw a big, huge party. It's almost like a wedding reception. It's huge Mm -hmm. and food and dancing and all that kind of stuff. And so they had invited me there and they said, now it's going to be too late for you to travel. It's not safe to travel in, in the dark. So you need to um, stay at our house for the night. So I said, okay. Now, let me tell you, a couple days before that, I had been helping with, um, I'm, I'm kind of a worker. Women in Mexico don't work, and they don't work around men. But, I mean, I wanted to castrate some cows. I thought it sounded like fun. So, <laughs> so I was helping with that. It was a big, I was not cat doing the actual castrating. I was... I can't remember which part I was doing, but, um, I can anyway, think of, I can think of one bull you should have castrated. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, uh, so we go to this quinceanera, we go to bed the next morning. Um, the family that I was staying with the dad who lives in the town, in that little town where we lived came to the house and was a little bit panicked and said that the night before, Two men had come looking for me because um, they knew my name, probably because of the. I'm thinking when I was over at the when they were castrating cows, um, and they said that I told them they could come anytime. They had guns, and they were drunk, and so um, yeah, that's nothing. They, I think one guy fled, and they, they arrested the other guy. And that means that somebody called the police? Well, yeah, the, the dad called the police. Okay. I guess they probably, I think they knew who they were. Mm-hmm. He must have known who they were because, you know, I mean, cowboys, they kind of all know each other. That's It's not that big of an area. Right. And before we get to uh, the end of this story in Mexico, you had mentioned something to me previously about a fire on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that. Well, there was, um, <laughs> that's that's another, <clears throat> excuse me. There was a forest fire up on the mountains. And so it, the town was filled with, our, our little town was filled with smoke. It was, it was pretty close. And so everybody took, it was so, I don't know, it was so, um, archaic 
we took shovels, rakes, everybody in the town, everybody in the next town over, shovels, rakes, that's about it, and went and to this fire and we're fighting this fire. Of course, no women were there except me. And so um, anyway, um, finally they had to call in the federales. So to fight this fire because, and they weren't using water or anything. I don't know what was going on, but so they called in the federales. And then uh, after a couple days, um, the townspeople came to us and said, they need water up there to drink. And so can you take, can you take, they knew we had mules. And so we loaded up a couple of um, big five gallon uh, drums, whatever they are of um, fresh water to take to them. And uh, by the time we got ready, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon and it was pretty far to go. So um, they, we didn't really know we thought we knew where the trail was, but we didn't. So we ended up, couldn't find the trail. We were pushing through um, Madrona. I don't know if you know how hard that wood is, but Madrona bushes. So, you know, waist high in these Madrona bushes. I was on a little um, burrow. My husband was on the horse. Uh, I think it was on a mule. And um, at a certain point, I mean, the, there was a cliff on one side and mountain on the other side. And at one point, my burrow would not go another step. So I had to get off and um, just leave, the, leave it there. And so I was, Joe threw me a rope and let me try to walk up and keep up with him. I couldn't keep up with him. So he finally let me ride the horse and then he walked behind. We finally got up and it was so spooky because we saw on the horizon, we saw a soldier with a machine gun standing there with the uh, red sky behind him. And um, I got afraid. Uh, we didn't have anything. We didn't have a gun. We didn't have any protection. Um, so we kind of just said a few words to him and dropped off the water and then went on our way. Well, it was dark. And we couldn't find our way home. So we had to stop. We drove, we drove, we rode the, the horse a little bit further past this guy and decided we had to just stop for the night. So we took the, took the blanket off of the horse mule and we had to share that little pad, horse pad, saddle pad, and uh, slept the night. And then the next morning, uh, when it started to get light, we got on the horse and the horse seemed to know the way home or the mule. Mm -hmm. So we kind of just finally let it go and it took us home. And <laughs> what was funny was when we got home, my little burrow was uh, waiting there for us. <laughs> That's the end. That's the end of that story. All right. Well, here's what I want to ask you now. Okay. How long were you in Mexico? Almost two years. From when to when? 2002 to 2000, the end of 2003. Okay. At some point, you got fed up and left the situation. And I'd like you to describe what it was that had to happen within you to where you had the strength 
to leave Joe, who exercised such enormous influence over you? Well, what? so at that point, Joe had gone to the States, right? When he came back, he had brought another girl with him. And it was one of my, uh, it was one of Stephanie's friends. So she was 18. And um, she, um, Joe had told her that, you know, I was all for the polygamy thing and all this. And so she wanted to bond with me. She came to my little trailer where I lived and decided that we needed to bond. And I told her flat out, you know what? I hate this polygamy thing. I don't think it's right and I don't want to live it. And so this girl that he convinced to, to marry him. Um, so, so now this is the Sylvia's the second wife. The third wife was the Mexican Blanca was her name. This girl name name was Becky. So she decides. So after she decides, figures out, I'm not going to do this. Um, but she had been, what I was going to tell you was she had been in an accident before Joe approached her about coming with us and being in her family. She, her car had been under the water. She was under the water when they rescued her. She was pronounced dead, but then she came back. They got her to come back somehow. I don't know how that all happened, but she was, uh, on life support for a month. She had some some uh, short-term memory loss, brain damage. Um, she was engaged, um, and for some reason, somehow, Joe got around her and decided that he, he convinced her that she had been saved to become a part of our family. Her dad wanted to live polygamy, so he was fine with it. So he brought her down to Mexico. So in the meantime, well, he left again and he left me with Becky. <laughs> well, you took kind of a chance by telling Becky how you really felt about polygamy. Weren't you worried she'd go and tell Joe? No, she didn't seem like she was all there anyway. Oh, so <laughs> kind of so severe. Or moderate to severe brain damage? Uh, yeah. I mean, she could talk and everything, but she just didn't, she just seemed like, oh, oh, you know. And so we would go, what's funny is we'd go places before Joe left to go to the States again. We would go to like these friends' house and they would offer me Presidente con Coca. You know what that is? Rum and um, Coke. <laughs> oh, that's rum and Coke? And I'd be like, you know what? I didn't. I'm not a member of the church. I got excommunicated. Why not? So I would take a drink now and then. I'm delivering babies over here. I'm fighting <laughs> fires up in the mountain. I'll have a damn rum and Coke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. So, uh, and then she told Joe about that. And then she told Joe uh, when he came back from, you know, the States, he, he did tell her that, or she did tell him that, um, I wore, was wearing earrings, which was not allowed. Um, not even one pair? No. Somebody had given me a pair, and I was going to wear them. I thought, you know, he's not here. I'm going to wear them. <laughs> so she is actually a blabbermouth, this Becky. Yeah, she ended up to be. I was pretty surprised. What happened when Joe finds out that you've been having a rum and Coke and wearing earrings? 
uh, he had, he talked to me about it and I just said, you know, we're, why, why can't I have not, you know, we're not members of the church. Um, I don't see a thing wrong with having a drink with somebody. And what did he say? He said, well, he said, that's not a good idea and I'm not going to do it, but I might do it someday. So then that was that. Yeah, that so polyga- you- polygamy is a gateway drug. You start practicing polygamy, you might you might have an occasional drink after that. That's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's just so reversed and backwards. It's amazing. All right, but this is heading towards the end of the second year? Yes. Well, actually, no, the end of the – almost to the first year, almost to the second year. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to sense a little bit of rebellion in Susan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when he went back to the States, um, Becky slept in a little uh, bunkhouse type thing. I had my little trailer um, that was about 500 feet from the house. What about Sylvia? She was with Joe. I mean, living arrangements. Oh, she had her own thing. We, we, used, to, we used to go visit. We'd have our night. Of course, if you're having a hard time, you don't get one. You get skipped. Oh, so so each of the three wives at this point, including Becky, there's a separate place. You have a trailer, and you said um, Becky has a little, did you say shack? A bunkhouse, yeah. A bunkhouse is what you said. And Sylvia yeah. has her own separate living bunkhouse. place. Mm-hmm. And that's separate from Becky. Yes. And then there's a main house kind of shack. Well, you saw it. Yeah. We just had food. We had food in there and a RV toilet in there that we flushed with a hose. We didn't talk about the living arrangements down there. Is that where Joe slept? No, I mean, he had his own trailer. He has his own trailer. Who has mm-hmm. the best trailer and the biggest trailer? Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew that was going to be the answer. But I had a, <laughs> I yeah. We shot I showered with a bucket and a cup and then we had to keep a water, we had a, Joe had built a, like a 90 gallon water tank that we had on top of a, a fire pit and I had to keep the fire going so we could have hot, you know, hot water. You, 24/7. On, honestly, <laughs> you worked like a slave, didn't you? And we, and we logged with the mules as well. We went and got firewood. It was, I'm telling you, that's all you did all day was work. There was nothing yeah, and one time, <laughs> I'll tell you what, before Joe went to Mexico, this is so kind of segmented, but before Joe went to um, the States for the last time with Sylvia, I had gone to town, and Becky and Sylvia were there um, at the place with Joe, and I'd gone to town and to run errands. When I came home, um, they wanted to know what I was fixing for lunch, and they were sitting there on the couch. One was massaging Joe's hand. The other one was massaging his head. That's is when I said, that's it. And I put the groceries down and I went to my, my little trailer. And I'm like, I can't even believe it. When you say you thought that's it, what does yeah. that mean? Was there really a break there? In terms, yeah. of, uh, in terms of your yeah. willingness to continue? Yeah, it was. Because when he and Sylvia left again, just Becky was there with me. So late at night, I would go into the main house where the food was and everything. And I got myself some rice and some beans and a few things. Um, my favorite knife, my favorite grater, my, you know, that kind of stuff. 
a spoon, a fork. You have, you have, you have not only knives, you have a favorite knife. (laughs) Cutting knives. Look out for Susan. Look out. She's got a favorite (laughs) knife. I mean, you really, you really changed a lot when you were in Mexico, didn't you? Yeah. (laughs) It's like you're learning all these skills, all these abilities, all this independence, and now you're going to use it. (laughs) Yep. So uh, I got this stuff and then I found, I, Joe used to just give me as much money as I needed for shopping or for getting propane or whatever I needed to do. And one time somebody asked me, this family that we, that I liked, um, asked me if they could, if we had any American dollars that they could switch. And so I did. And so they gave me the pesos. Well, um, Joe forgot to ask for it back and it was like $500. So I wasn't about, at that point, I used to give him the money back, but at that point I thought, I'm just going to wait and see if he asked for it. So I hid it. So he never asked for it. So I had $500. And what I did was I, I found a place to rent that didn't have a kitchen or anything. It was just, it had a bathroom, it had a shower, and it had, it was empty, concrete floor. Um, and it was $50 a month. So I thought, well, I got this money, and then I'm going to teach English. But um, I figured out I had to go back to the States to get divorced. So, so your first plan was to stay in Mexico, but actually, no, 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 that's not what happened. Yes, I was going to stay in Mexico, but then my daughter, my oldest daughter, she kept calling me because I called and said, oh, I've, I've left your dad. Oh, how far away are you? You're going to go back. I know you're going to go back. And I said, no, I'm not going back. And she, so she, a couple days in a row, she would call me. Oh, I didn't even, we didn't even get to the place where I left. I missed that. Well, let's go back to it now. Okay, let's go back. This is important. <laughs> so what happened was when Joe got back from Mex- from the States to Mexico, um, I was in my little trailer and er, in the morning when I was going to get up, he comes in and he had a piece of paper and he says, Sylvia said that there's some things missing from the kitchen. And I said, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know where anybody puts anything anymore. Everybody's putting everything wherever they want to put it. And he says, no, these things are missing. They're some of your favorite things. And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, we're going to go, we're going to go look for them. And I said, okay. Sue, I don't want to be obtuse, but these are your favorite things that you had already squirreled away in anticipation of getting out of there. Yes. What's the piece of paper? Is that the list? That's the list that Sylvia made. Oh, good job, Sylvia. (laughs) Thanks so much, Sylvia. Oh my gosh. So you're about ready to get what? Found out? Before you get out? Yeah. And before that, I had called Joe's brother, who's an attorney, and asked, I said, I don't know how to get out of here because he's got everything. He's, everything's been changed out of our name, my name. And I said, I don't have anything. And he says, if you're going to leave, he says, Joe's never been violent with you, but he says, you better lie till you can get out. Cause if you're leaving, he might get violent. Mm. So I, he says, you lie till you get out of there. So when he said, let's go look for the stuff, I said, okay, <laughs> let's and go that, look. And now you're thinking, he's never been violent with me, but his brother, his own brother has told me if he finds out I'm splitting, he might yeah. get violent. And now he's on the verge of maybe finding out that you're splitting. Yeah. 
So we, he, we go in the kitchen and I'm just standing there and he's kind of looking around and he says, well, he says, I guess what we'll do is we'll start in Sylvia's um, room and we'll look and nobody's leaving the property till we find it. This is Radio Free Mormon breaking into this interview to advise you that unfortunately we are not going to be able to continue with Sue's story today. At this point in her narrative, she was interrupted unexpectedly and she has some emergency business that she has to take care of, which will occupy her for the rest of the day. It was not my intention to leave it on this cliffhanger of a note in her story, but that's the way it has to be. And my apologies to my audience for this. Sue and I will have to reschedule for some time down the road when she can tell you the rest of the story and what will be part two of Escape from Polygamy Mountain. I want to thank all of my listeners who have stepped up to the plate and made a monthly donation to Radio Free Mormon. If you have not done so yet, I encourage you, please, today to go to RadioFreeMormon.org, click on the donate button, and make a $10 recurring monthly donation today. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air. 